coming up on What Women Want to Know. We know the single biggest killer of women in this country during pregnancy and after birth, in the first year after birth, is suicide and the effects of poor mental health. The only way that we can try to help that number is to encourage people to speak up. I'm your host, Dr. Adana, and this is What Women Want to Know. The show where we navigate the complex, fascinating, and sometimes intimidating world of women's health and well-being. Here, we create a safe, judgment-free space where no topics are off-limits. We confront our fears, we embrace our vulnerabilities, and we find humour in the unexpected. Welcome to What Women Want to Know. Before we get into today's conversation, I want to personally thank every one of you that has been here since the beginning. And if you've just stumbled across the podcast, you are welcome to join this growing community. If you're watching on YouTube, please hit the subscribe button and don't forget to turn on the notification so that you know when a new episode is live, which is every Sunday at 6 p.m. GMT. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple podcast, give us a follow give us a review your comments actually help me to improve but also it helps more women to find us today we are getting real about pregnancy and childbirth it's a journey that's filled with so many questions so many myths and sometimes a bit of anxiety right well it's time to clear the air on the show today we're diving into what really happens during pregnancy tackling those myths head-on and dishing out some solid science-backed truths. Think of this as your go-to chat for all things pregnancy, the good, the challenging, and everything in between. The goal is to make you feel more informed, confident, and ready for this incredible journey. Whether you're expecting, planning, or just curious, this conversation is all about getting you the answers you need in the most down-to-earth way possible. I'm thrilled to welcome to the show today, Dr. Brooke van der Molen, also known as the OBGYN mom. An NHS doctor specializing in obstetrics and gynecology, Dr. Vandia Morlin brings a wealth of experience from her clinical work and research in maternal medicine and high-risk pregnancy. Her commitment to educating and empowering women about their bodies, pregnancy, and birth choices makes her an ideal guide for today's discussion. Dr. Vandia Morlin's unique perspective as both a medical professional and a mother herself makes her an invaluable source of knowledge. So join us as we explore the wonders and challenges of pregnancy and childbirth with an expert who lives and breathes this subject professionally and personally. What women want to know. It's so lovely to have you on the show today, Dr. Vandia Morlin. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And please call me Brooke. Okay, Brooke, we're going to dive right into the conversation. From experience, both professionally and personally, like we know that there's a lot of concerns and fear and myth around the conversation of pregnancy, labor, delivery, postpartum. So in your experience, what are the most common fears that you hear from women? about labor and delivery so there's so many things that i hear over and over again i remember when i was pregnant myself the first time i suddenly kind of really understood that a lot of my friends or patients or people who were who were pregnant just 
there's so many things that go through your mind that you worry about, but you feel almost too silly to ask anyone, ask your midwife about, but are just kind of yeah. common concerns. So even just starting from when you first become pregnant, you um, have this kind of, you know, am I eating the right things? Am I doing the right things? Can I get my hair mm -hmm. colored? All those kind of concerns. When later on in pregnancy, people get really worried about when it comes to the baby's movements. For example, you're told all the time over and over again, yeah. you know, is your baby moving okay? Is your baby moving okay? And you're like, I, I don't actually know because it's a really hard thing to grasp like how much it should be moving. And the more someone asks the question, you're like, well, I think it moved today. Yeah, it did move today. But like, I don't know if it was the same as yesterday because it's hard to remember how many times it moved yesterday when I didn't pay attention. So is that like kind of common question about just pregnancy itself. And then of course, when it comes to labor, people are really uh, worried or thinking about, you know, what could happen. And I think there's so many misconceptions about what they might expect. So people put a lot of blame on themselves that like, if their labor doesn't end up a certain way, that it was because they needed to do a certain thing or because they didn't mm. get into a certain position or things like that. There's a lot of misconceptions about what might happen when you first arrive or that the doctors, they only want to just do a C-section and they're standing outside your room when you're about to give birth with their forceps in their hands like ready to kind of jump in and I would say that's a massive misconception as mm. an obstetrics doctor myself working on labor ward I really don't want to spend my day all day going from cesarean to cesarean or you know doing a lot of instrumental deliveries it's really about being there to help in that moment that that person needs something doing the right thing by mum and baby and I think there's a lot of kind of maybe it's fueled a little bit by social media that the oh. doctors are the enemy and if you just eat the right things and you move the right way, then everything will go perfectly to plan. And if it doesn't happen, that's because someone's intervened or you've accepted an epidural when maybe if you hadn't accepted the epidural, you know, it would have all been fine. And I think what we have to move away from is this kind of blame culture, making it look evil to do certain things. We are very lucky to live in the time that we live in where there are so many mm. kind of things that can make the birth experience more enjoyable, less painful yeah. if you want that. And also, obviously, a lot lot safer and I love to kind of break down some of those misconceptions and some of those misunderstandings and just demystify it because it is a scary mm. place to be I'm hopefully going to be giving birth in the next couple of weeks and I'm terrified even I've done it twice before and I work there every day but I'm terrified because you just don't know what could happen but actually when you know a little bit about what to expect you know what you might see what a labor ward might look like why someone might be thinking of recommending a cesarean or forceps delivery, I think things can be less scary at least. You touched on a few things I'm going to flesh out as we go along this conversation. Epidural, forceps, cesarean, we're going to touch on those. But I wanted to ask you, so you're an obstetrics doctor. I mean, you're training this, you do this, you live and breathe this. And then you had already started this job prior to being pregnant. Can you honestly say that your clinical experience made you more prepared for your own journey or could you candidly share what fears you had even though you were experienced professionally yeah absolutely yes yeah. so i've done a couple of years already of working in obstetrics before i had my first child and i definitely would say it completely transformed how i saw my patients when I came back from kind of having given birth and maternity leave for the first time, I remember just like looking at labor ward in a completely different way. I was seeing people experiencing contractions every day and kind of, you know, oh, well done, keep going, yeah, keep pushing or whatever. But once you've been there and once you know what it felt like to experience contractions, to push for hours without much coming out, you really see it in a different way. And like, for example, so maybe someone comes in, their, their labor's 
progressing rapidly and they're in a lot of pain and discomfort and they're asking for an epidural and maybe we say oh no you know you're nine centimeters you're fully dilated don't worry you're going to deliver soon keep going whereas having been through that it did change my opinion because i gave birth once without an epidural mm. because things happen quickly and i hated that experience and now i'm like if someone is asking for that epidural even if we can find five minutes to put it in we should push for that person to have what they're asking for rather than saying you know oh it's all right you're going to give birth soon so i think yeah there it's definitely mm. changed a lot of my practice. It made you more empathetic then. Yeah, I think it's a difficult line because I don't think everyone that works on a label needs to have had children themselves in order to be good at their job. You know, you don't have to be a midwife who's had babies. You know, men can obviously be fantastic and amazing obstetricians and gynecologists. They don't have to have gone through the process themselves. But when I see somebody going through a pregnancy loss, especially a late pregnancy loss, I might not have experienced it myself, but I know what it's like to have been pregnant and to have to be so invested in that journey. And so I can empathise in a way, but I haven't maybe been through that exact thing that they're going through but I can understand and relate to some parts of it maybe in a way that I didn't before. You mentioned epidural and I think that's a good bridge to the next conversation which is there's a lot of talk about natural birth versus like epidural using medications. What are your thoughts on using epidural versus trying to have the baby naturally? My own personal experiences of birth so far have probably been different to some other obstetricians or a lot of doctors in that I was very happy to go into my own pregnancies and births with like a open mind, whatever happens, happens. And I had straightforward births. I've had one with and one without an epidural. And so I feel like at least speaking to people who are low risk, because that's generally who we're talking about here, people who maybe don't have anything that is worrying about their pregnancy. They're the ones that get a lot of this information on social media and saying, you know, you, you should go completely natural. If you accept anything that the doctors offer, you're going to go down this cascade of intervention and you're going to end up with a cesarean section. I can say that if we look at both the evidence, but also the experience of what it feels like, we should stop demonizing that approach. And we say, we know that if you're at term, you're at the end of your pregnancy, your labour starts spontaneously and you have an epidural, it does not increase the length of your labour. It does not make it more likely that you're going to have a caesarean section or an instrumental birth. It can slightly increase the, the first part of the labour, but the actual overall process shouldn't increase in length and it shouldn't make it any more likely that you're going to have an instrumental birth or a caesarean section. So that's just the evidence that's from Cochrane reviews. But ultimately, we, we can think of the evidence and how it applies to millions of people, but you want to know what you as an individual wants to do. And what you have to say is, if you haven't been through this process, if you haven't been there before, it's better to walk in with an open mind. If it's really painful, why should you subject yourself to something that you're finding, you know, you're, you're about to meet meet your baby that you've waited for for so long and you're exhausted and you might have been through 36 hours without sleeping and why do you want to force yourself because you've made a preconceived decision when you weren't in pain hadn't been through it yourself so I think whatever you choose to go for is fine and the best thing that we can do for women everywhere is just provide the information provide the options and great if you want to go through it and you can hit the birth you can exercise you can keep mobile you can make your room really like dim lights and candles and it makes it it's an amazing experience for you and you don't need an epidural great that's fantastic for you and that's the birth you wanted to have but if you get to that place you did the lights you played the music but you're still like i'm struggling here this is harder than i thought it would be there should be no like oh well 
I said I wasn't going to have the epidural, so I'm not going to have it. And you find more and more a lot of women trying to either stick it out because they want to prove that they're strong or because of the false information about what will happen when they take an epidural. So, that, I mean, I can't even imagine whether you see that a lot. Oh, yeah, we see it a lot. Part of the job that I, of course, enjoy is talking to people in and explaining things. But often it's, it makes a difficult situation when you're on a labour ward. Sometimes when, you know, we're worried about baby or we're worried about mum, we make, you know, recommendation. Uh, and the, the thing that holds somebody back, you know, if I say, listen, I'm really worried about your baby. You're not fully dilated. And we think the best thing to do would be to do a cesarean section now. But they feel this overwhelming guilt that they haven't pushed their baby out. And they, the conversation doesn't become about you know what's best for mum and baby and why are we worried and uh, and how quickly can we get this out the conversation is kind of us trying to break down why do you feel like this and why are you worried about this and and actually it puts up barriers between us when there shouldn't necessarily be this kind of guilt that comes through i mean it starts in labor but obviously as mothers we just take that through for the rest of our motherhood journey and we never lose that guilt of are we doing the right things for ourselves are we doing the right thing for our career are we doing the right thing for the babies but yeah that's where it starts what women want to know. Sharing very honestly, like a few family members got into my head. When I was pregnant the first time around, I had a family member say to me, without obviously knowing what sort of labor and delivery process that I would go through, the conversation was around women who choose to have c-section electively or women who just have c-sections not it wasn't even considered whether it was elective or an emergency but really their opinion was do you even really consider yourself to have gone through childbirth if you've not pushed the baby through your birth canal and I honestly held on to that statement so much so that when I went through my own process 27 hours in labor still no sign of baby all I was thinking to myself is I really want to push the baby through my birth canal I really want to push my baby like regardless of the complication regardless that you know he's fetal heart rate was going down regardless of the advice I just held on to I really don't want to be a disappointment I, I don't want any epidural and I don't want to end up in a section I mean two things that ended up happening to me because of the process so you're right um, unfortunately there's a lot of these conversations that happen that really puts us in this position of fear or make us very certain about our decisions without even being in that process how do you make a decision so important about something before you even get there and then you're in that position and still holding on to things that you made when everything was fine it's really crazy i want to talk about your own personal experience through childbirth through labor and delivery and you're now pregnant for your third congratulations tell me about the first two what was that process like? Slightly unusual in the sense, I mean, I never imagined for myself things going to plan because I spend my whole life having these conversations oh. about how we can't plan, okay. you can't control it. The first thing I say when I'm you know, trying to tell someone in labour, whatever that we need to do, I'm like, you've done everything you need to, but there's things that are outside of our control. So I never expected things to kind of go to plan. But actually for me, yeah, my first one was on her due date. I had a sweep and I went into labor. Well, I started having contractions and I 
was just like every other mother out there in that you don't know with the first time around what contractions actually feel like. And so I was there, I had them for about eight hours at home. I was like, great, I'm going to do really well. I'm going to do all my movements. I'm going to go in and I'm going to be like six centimeters and they'll tell me great. But actually, of course, I waited as long as I could, went in, I was like one centimeter. You can go home. Okay, yeah. went home. Went, carried on having contractions, thought I was doing really well, went back another like eight hours later. Oh, you're like one and a half, maybe two centimetres. You can go home. Oh my God. Went home again. I was kind of in this like in between of ages, not really in labour, but also in pain and exhausted and not sleeping and everything. But then eventually I went back and it actually ramped up for me very, very quickly. And I went from being, from when I arrived and I was three centimetres, baby came out 45 minutes later. And that's the one where I said I didn't get time to have an epidural. And oh, it's wow. truly changed because how I feel about when I see people having a completely straightforward birth, it felt completely uncontrolled. Uncontrolled. I'm a controlled person. I like to know everything, line up my day and know yeah. exactly what's going to happen when. And like my body was just doing it. I was doing this uncontrolled pushing I because they, they said I was three centimeters I, was like, I don't want to push now but there's this innate sense of what your, your body kind of starts doing it when you don't have an epidural epidural changes things a little bit when you don't your body just kind of starts and I was doing involuntary pushing and the midwife was just like go with it again not something I really experienced in my own practice as, as a doctor because we don't most of my patients have an epidural etc and she's like just go with it you're probably now fully dilated I'm like but 15 minutes ago I was three centimeters how can I be and and we did, and I pushed, and 45 minutes later, the baby was out. So it was a very quick birth. Okay, so in contrast to the second, was there a contrast? <laughs> well, it was a little bit, because I was at work. I worked right up until the end. It was like my last day of work. We had like a nice little goodbye thing. Before I left the labor ward, I was like, oh, can someone just give me a sweep before I go? And the lower behold, <laughs> well, I was there. I thought I'd save myself a trip. It wasn't the best idea, because then I started having contractions before I got in my car, and I needed to drive home. I went into labour again after that and I got home, a few hours at home and got back in. But this time I was four centimetres when I arrived at the hospitals. They didn't send me straight back. And I managed to have an epidural and have a more of a chilled time because it just took longer to kind of build up. And so it was about eight hours and uh, with a nice epidural and again, a, a kind of a, a good straightforward birth. And so, yeah, I did have good experiences both times of a straightforward low risk birth, which I actually like because in the sense of like when I create content on social media about birth and I get slated for saying, you know, all the pros and cons of, of an induction of labor, or I can say that I can understand birth from both sides. I've experienced it and also I work in it. So I think we shouldn't demonize anything or anyone it's just about giving the best information and the best access for you and so if it's your first baby and everything is going great fantastic learn hypnobirthing stay active do your aromatherapy whatever you want to do but also be prepared for when things don't go to plan because you just don't know which way around it's going to go you touched on the fact that you had you know two great pregnancies and now you're pregnant for the third and I was going to say, maybe that's why you're, you're getting pregnant at that time. In my case, where none of them have gone to plan, I still went on to ha have three. And I, I feel like there is just something about nature that makes a woman forget what she went through. I mean, I would say you don't forget. 
I forgot. If I remembered, Brooke, if I remembered, I will not have done it again. I'm telling you that I genuinely forgot until the second, and then I forgot until the third. Just the outcome justifies the process, doesn't it? They drive you mad with the kids. You know, if that's what you imagine for your family, you do. We put ourselves through it again. I don't think men could do it. They couldn't go back again after how hard pregnancy is and then then what labour can involve and birth. You mentioned, well, it's okay to enjoy the aromatherapy and the, you know, relaxing music and all of that, but be also prepared for when things don't go to plan. So I was going to talk to you about birth plans because that's something that, more and more women are doing you know having a birth plan and you know people just have an idea of how they want it to go some of it is spiritual a lot of it is just very wishful thinking let's be honest it's a combination of what you wish will happen and you hoping (laughs) that it goes that way generally is it your experience that more and more doctors in a hospital setting are respecting these birth plans and How do you prepare a woman who has taken the time to create her birth plan and you can tell from the way things are going that it's not going to end up that way? Fantastic question because it is definitely something we come across. My feeling is you can plan for your birth. You should because you should be educating yourself, understanding what birth involves, having some thoughts and some conversations perhaps with your partner about what Mm. you would like in different situations. That's really important because that's all about, you know, understanding what what you're going to expect to happen and having a little bit of that kind of control, feeling Mm. of control back to you because it's a situation where you often feel out of control. If you've never been on a labour ward before and you're being explained all this information, it's nice to be able to come to those conversations with some understanding and with some kind of input. That's fantastic. You don't have to write down a birth plan for it to exist you don't have to have printed it and laminated it and given five copies to everybody for it to exist it can just exist in the head of you and your partner but we've discussed and ideally you know i'd like to be on a birthing ball i'd like to be in all fours position i'd like to you know not have an epidural these are the things we've discussed and you can tell that to the midwife and i'd like some skin to skin Mm. time those are important things but a birth plan is not complete unless you also have the plan b and plan c Mm. like that's a really important part of the birth plan that i think gets missed off because you focus so much on i do not want or i only want this outcome but i want you to think as part of a planning for birth planning those other outcomes so again you don't need to print it out for it to exist and it can be flexible and i think that's a really important part of a birth plan if you want to write it down because you're just someone who likes to write things down great that's absolutely fine bring it with you show it to everybody have a chance to discuss it usually at the beginning of your labor it's difficult later on and of course point out the things that matter to you now when things don't go to plan and you haven't covered for that in your birth plan that's when things get difficult we're not there to laugh at it or ridicule the birth plan but sometimes we do notice that there are big chunks missing out of like what could happen of course no one starts off their birth expecting to to have an infection for example if your waters break you don't go into labor and then you develop signs of infection that's not going to be in your birth plan you're not going to have expected that outcome but if you were in that situation if you've got a temperature you need antibiotics there's signs that baby's not coping with that infection very well we need to get the baby out of that infected environment that may not have been covered on the birth plan but you might want to stay on the birth plan I would like to ideally avoid a cesarean section, but if I have a cesarean section, I would like to be the first person to see what gender the baby is. I would like to have skin to skin time whilst I'm in the theatre. I would like to play my own music. So that you're not saying, 
I want to have a cesarean because of course that's not in your plan but it's like if those kind of things happen there are ways for you to feel also that you've had an active part in the process that you've been empowered and that's the sort of birth plan everyone loves you to come into the labor ward with because that means that you've really thought about it it makes our conversations much easier and more straightforward so if we say look we need to go for a cesarean follow page two of the birth plan easy what women want to know Rick, I think you've really, really touched on a very important point because I attempted to have a birth plan. I mean, I think at some point during the pregnancy journey, I was just like, you know what? I'm just leaving this. I just want this baby out and I'll be fine. But a lot of what I see, even, you know, online with more and more creators, online influencers who are pregnant, taking their audience or their community through their journey, talking about packing their hospital bag and their birth plan and all of that. I do not see a lot of birth plans that have a plan B or a plan C. It's usually everything that I want. It's not even so much what I do not want. I think they go through everything I want and that really sets you up for disappointment if things don't go to plan. So I think a very key takeaway from this conversation is really that if you are going to do up a birth plan, just consider that things might not go to that plan. And it doesn't even mean that the plan B or plan C is going to cause you or your baby harm. It's just another route to achieve the end goal, which is bring out a healthy baby that you have the capability of, of bonding well and that you heal well. That's the end goal at the end of the day. Exactly. That's the end goal and that you can be involved and have that other process also be a positive experience. You don't have to be disappointed that you ended up with plan B or plan C because it wasn't in your control and you will have done everything you can. And this is how my conversations go on the list. You've done everything you can. up. To, we've done everything we can up to mm. this point. This is where we are. You know, the next step should be this and what would you like and we can offer you choices in that situation as well so it doesn't have to be just like the unwanted option it can also be a positive experience okay let's talk about VBAC vaginal birth after cesarean my first pregnancy experience again I just thought all going well I'll go in you know, push out the baby, walk out. I was hoping for the least complicated scenario possible. Unfortunately, it didn't work out that way. I had to go into an emergency cesarean. And so for the next pregnancy, there was the conversation of a back, right? And this is something that a lot of women wonder. I was on all these forums and you get all these disappointing comments, people saying, I always wanted to have the experience of having a vaginal birth. I don't think I'll be able to do that now that I've had a cesarean. So what are your comments on that? I think a VBAC is a fantastic option that people have, especially if you've had one previous cesarean section, kind of went as well as could be, you didn't have any issues with, with the operation or with the recovery, then usually you'll be advised that if you've had one previous cesarean, you could safely opt to have a vaginal birth if you wanted to. We usually kind of arrange an appointment at around 28 weeks of the next pregnancy to have a good conversation about those risks so that you can have that conversation again away from yeah. the day that you're giving birth and you get an opportunity to really think about it and weigh it up because although we can plan for a feedback as maybe you know we can't always yeah. guarantee a feedback i know this because that's exactly how it happened for me i ended up with a second cesarean exactly so we say if you've had one cesarean that you have a 70 percent chance of having a vaginal birth the next time if you chose to go down that route but for some people that chance 
chances that's actually higher. For example, if they'd also had a vaginal birth in the past, mm. it's probably 90%. If they had a very slow, got to three centimeters first labor that ended up with a cesarean, their chance is probably more like 40%. So there's a big range within that, but we say around 70%. So essentially mm. you may still end up with a cesarean. How do you feel about having that mm. risk still there? There's risk of your uterus opening during the labor process itself called uterine rupture. You know, we just talk through all the risks, but then there's also so many benefits of having a vaginal birth, a quicker mm. recovery. It's better for your future fertility and your future baby, but it's complicated. I mean, I, I actually done on YouTube a whole video weighing up what, how you can decide what your next birth is after nice. having had a cesarean section. Because we recognize it's not an yeah. easy decision. Some people do find it an easy decision. They walk in, they straight away know, either they say, no way am I going through that again. Book me for my cesarean section now within our 12 weeks. Other people are like, I really didn't enjoy my cesarean. I still really want to have that opportunity. I only want to go for a VBAC. Some people find that easy and other people come mm. in and they, they want to have a chance to really weigh up in more detail. On the topic of cesarean, what should women know about the recovery process after a cesarean? The first thing to say about recovering from a C-section is giving yourself mm. plenty of time and giving yourself all the painkillers. Similar to how we kind of give ourselves all the guilt with labour and controlling that outcome, I think people seem to withhold painkillers from themselves even when they, they need them. So I always recommend the first week have painkillers at least four mm. times a day when you've had a cesarean section. And then for the second week, you might want to choose to have them less than that or just as and when you feel that you need them. Or you continue to take them regularly, even if your pain is well controlled, because that allows you to even just get out of bed mm. and mobilise a little bit. So being liberal with the painkillers that you've been given, obviously yeah. within the realms of what's safe. Giving yourself plenty of time when you need to go mm. to the toilet for the first time. That can be uncomfortable. So drinking loads of fluids, staying really well hydrated initially mm. after the cesarean section. And then when you do go to the toilet, not trying to rush, not trying to push and force and just giving yourself that time and if you need to using gravity again walking around using gravity helping everything come down so that you don't have to kind of yeah. force yourself and push too hard yeah. when you look after a wound you want to keep wounds generally mm. clean and dry so if you've got a bit of an overhang completely yeah. normal after you've had a baby but if you've got a bit of an overhang sometimes that can get a bit of moisture in it and that's not the yeah. best for wound healing so you might need to put some gauze or something to keep that area dry but otherwise if you're at home lying down just keep nothing on it no dressings just let the air get to your wound is actually a really good way of helping it to heal i don't recommend any of the products that you can buy that are all like a wound healing and everything you can use them once the wound's healed over but when the wound is like still raw and red don't use any of the arnica creams or any of these mm. kind of aloe vera whatever wait for that until it's already yeah. a healed scar and of course no heavy lifting so that your wound doesn't rupture listen we know all the advice yeah but practically speaking i could pull that off after my first child because guess what there was no other toddlers to be heavily lifted then i had the second section and i tried not to to the best of my ability but when you have like a two and a half year old saying mommy mommy carry me and they're screaming i mean there is that additional guilt of uh, you don't have my attention there's a new baby you're trying to share the love it just it just gets really complicated doesn't it exactly i think that's another thing that maybe going through the process yourself helps is that you understand we can give this advice prescribe medications i'm the worst at taking medication i never remember to take anything and you know we expect everyone to remember to take something three times a day or whatever it is and yeah the same i think you've just got to be kind to yourself but it also comes back to planning as well and trying to be organized before birth definitely when you have your second it's a completely different ball game to when you have your first you do need to try to arrange some help to have at home otherwise you will 
of course you will end up heavy lifting. You know, we tell you you can't drive for six weeks, which is all very well if you live in central London and you've got access to great public transport. But a lot of people don't. They live out in, in the countryside and the only way of getting your kids to and from school is to drive. So what are you going to do if you end up with an unexpected C-section? Because it's even worse. It's one thing if you know you're going to have a C-section and that's easy to plan. But when you have one that you weren't expecting and then suddenly you're home for six weeks and you've got to get your kids to school and your partner goes back to work after two weeks and you're not supposed to drive. What do you do? It's really difficult. What women want to know. Let's actually talk about support of partners and family members during pregnancy and the postpartum. And I say that because we know, of course, that the postpartum period, you know, comes with its own agenda. And, you know, postpartum blues or postpartum depression, that's something that is common. It's definitely more common than we think and probably than we even know, because really we, the only ones we know about you know, in terms of our numbers of postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, only comes from people that have actually seen mm. someone for that. And a lot of people don't necessarily because they could just accept this as part of birth. So there is a difference between postpartum blues, the baby blues, and postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety. So the main difference is just that the, you know, the baby blues is a kind of normal phenomenon similar to PMS where you have a big shift in your hormones after birth around days three to five and you can feel more tearful but you kind of feel like you're supposed to be happy mm. but you can't stop crying it's that sort of very labile emotions that switch all the time it should get better quite quickly within a few days after birth so actually yeah. that's normal although it's not very pleasant it's one of those things that you just kind yeah. of recognize when you're in that place postpartum depression it can be much harder to recognize because it's further down the line it's more like around the six week mark it's when people probably expect you to be like back up onto your feet now and it's much harder to notice in yourself even because you're like well am i just sleepy and tired all the time and just feeling oh, no energy all the time just because i've had a baby and i'm mm. still up all night or is there something more going on? And often I think it is the partners or the family members that need to recognise it in the person that's given birth because it can be impossible to recognise in yourself or that feeling, you've just got to keep going, you've got no other choice. You've got this baby that's dependent on you all the time. And sometimes it is often the partners that call up the GP or call up uh, and say that, I just yeah. I just don't think something's right here. And I, I really encourage anyone's partners who even have that thought for a second to really to speak up because it's not an easy conversation to have to say, I think you've got yeah. postpartum depression. It's not an easy conversation between the two of you, but it, it comes from a place of love. And, and really, we know the single biggest killer of women in this country during pregnancy and after birth, in the first year after birth, is suicide and the effects of poor mental health. And so the only way that we can try to help that number is to encourage people to speak up ideally to put in place better support but I'm not going to sit here for one second and say I think we've got that right because I encourage people to speak up and then they say that they get dismissed when they go and talk about it but ultimately if you don't even take that first step it's impossible for anyone to help so you have to kind of say right I think something's not right can we go and talk to someone that might involve medication but it may not involve medication people have these misconceptions that if I go and see someone they're just going to put me on antidepressants well that's not 
always what they offer. They might be able to offer you therapy, they might be able to offer you more support for someone to come and visit you at home, a health visitor, etc. So the first step is just to talk and to reach yeah. out and then let us see what we can do. It's amazing. I was actually going to touch on the importance of mental health support during and after pregnancy, but I think the key takeaway here is get the partners involved, you know, as they come through the antenatal classes or generally as they have appointments with their obstetrician to also let the partners and family members know that if something's off, give us a call. Because in my case, I did experience postpartum blues when I was fully aware of it, I think was after my second child. And it's very easy for those symptoms to slip through the crack because there's so much excuse as to why your mood has changed and your appetite has changed and why you're so demotivated, unhappy. Like there, there are generally good excuses you're staying up through the night you're feeding you know every two hours round the clock and you're tired your social circle has been cut off because you're at home breastfeeding I mean so much so it took me being very intentional to pick up on it my partner David my husband didn't pick up on it because he was extending me the grace to feel that way because I had just gone through this you know this big job that my body went through so he knew that okay she's not in the best mood like you said, you know, PMSing, like the husband's know when to back off, right? So he kind of knew when to back off. It's important to really spot the difference and to understand the thin line between, well, I'm tired and exhausted from having a baby to this is going into like a depressive state and I need to, to get her help. I actually think even in myself, I recognised, I think with my second, I think I also had like an unrecognised or undiagnosed postpartum depression. Like my, my second was four months old when COVID started, the first lockdown started. Wow. I mean, we can't even think about how much COVID affected new mothers in that stage, but I was suddenly so isolated and I had a baby that had all the colic and reflux in the world. He did not stop crying for about eight months of his life and I cried every day and it's such a dangerous time so even in myself I wish I hope that for the next time I can be quicker to recognize you know something like that but even in myself with everything I know I don't think I even recognized it until about six months later when I look back and I thought that wasn't that wasn't normal yeah actually it took me looking back like way back for me to be like actually be honest with yourself you really did have some postpartum thing going on that you failed to admit at the time but yeah we can't underestimate or actually overstress the value of just seeking help as soon as you feel like something isn't right this has been a great conversation but before i let you go what message would you like to give all of the women who are listening in and either planning for or currently going through pregnancy my message is always the same you cannot learn enough understanding your body understanding your cycles to begin with before you even start going for a pregnancy learn about what the menstrual cycle is supposed to be what your discharge means what your period means and then when you are you know pr hopefully pregnant and learning about what what that process involves and what labor involves if you come in with knowledge and understanding of your body of your condition it's great it really just means that we can have a much easier conversation get to know your bodies get to know what's normal for you and that helps you to also understand what's not normal for you 
Amazing. Thank you so much, Brooke. It's been a pleasure having you on the show today. And yes, I'm going to leave your contact details and where everyone can find you on social because I think that you're doing a fantastic job using your platform to really educate and empower women about their, their bodies, pregnancy, childbirth, and the whole process. So thank you very, very much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a great, great conversation. Okay, take care. What women want to know. A big thank you again to Dr. Vandia Morlin for taking the time to share her knowledge with us. She's very experienced in this conversation and she is currently pregnant with her third child. So I am so grateful that she took the time to join us and share a bit of her insight. I will leave all of her social media details below. If you're watching on YouTube, check the description bar so that you follow along. She empowers women on her platform by simplifying medical information around the topic of fertility, periods, childbirth, labor, pregnancy, and all that good stuff. Basically everything that women want to know. A big thank you to you for tuning into the show today. If you're watching on YouTube, leave your comments. I love reading and responding to them. Let me know what you enjoyed about today's conversation and what topics you would love for me to unravel on the show. If you're listening as a podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review. Your feedback not only helps me improve, but it also helps other women to find us. And don't keep us a secret. Share what women want to know with your network, both men and women. That's our show for today. Remember, your health matters and it's okay to talk about it. Until next time, I'm Dr. Adana and this is what women want to know.